Should we talk since we've been talking about capitalism a little bit? Uh, should Wait, we... have we? So many, so many, so many damn books. Yeah, well, let's start this thing. Welcome. I'm Christopher. I'm Drew. And we have Melissa Phoebus in the damn library today. Uh, Melissa, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me in the damn library today. Melissa is the author of uh, previously the memoir Whip Smart uh, out in 2011. Um, and now the new uh, memoirs Abandon Me. And uh, we're so excited to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming. I'm going to tell you about the thing that we're drinking. Uh, tell all the people out there as well. That's uh, <laughs> a tangerine limeade um, sweetened with a rosemary simple syrup. And so you just take some fresh rosemary and you toast that in a frying pan, just dry, until you can really smell it. Uh huh. And then, uh, and then you dump your, uh, you know, half cup of sugar, half cup of water, and that's where you start your uh, simple syrup at. And then you use that to uh, sweeten with the tangerine juice and lemon juice or lime juice, as I used, and then a little bit of water, and you're you're good to go. Some weird alchemy. I think it's exquisite. <laughs> I'm so glad. And I mean, I feel like in this room, I might be the authority since I only drink non-alcoholic beverages. And so I wonder if people who drink cocktails might just think of non-alcoholic beverages as a step below, mm-hmm. but I don't. The same way that I feel like I'm uniquely equipped to judge substitutions for meat because mm-hmm. I've never eaten meat. Oh. Oh, wouldn't that take you out of the running though? Because you can't say how close it is to... No, because my scale is does it taste good? Oh. Not how accurate a simulacrum for animal flesh is it? That's really interesting. I have to ask, have you had the Beyond Burger? No. Is that the new thing? It's the new one. It's like, I they think they're selling it at Whole Foods in a couple of places. It's it's beet-based, which is all that I know about it. And doesn't it, like, bleed when you... It do, it just, like, it chars oh. up, and so it, it sort of has that, like, it has the consistency of a burger a little bit more. Are they trying to go for, like, a bloody thing with the beet? I think so. Which like, is... you cut into it and pink juice yeah, oozes out? Yeah, I think that's got to be part of it. Beet-based um, beyond yeah. beef. Yeah. Beyond uh, Burger, mm-hmm. what is it called? Yeah, the, I think the alliteration's the, nice. Yeah, I, I just, I'll, I'll try it just for the alliteration. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> I don't, I, we're, I didn't come up with a good title for this um, drink. Uh, yeah, let's call it the <laughs> the the Wunderkammer. Are you sure you don't want to call it Beyond Booze? Oh, <laughs> Ooh. Wonder- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or how about Beyond Booze colon the Wunderkammer? That's it. I like it. But anyway, let's talk about what we bought. Yeah, let's talk about it. I'll start. Okay. Um, I bought um, Rachel Kong's book that just came out from Lucky Peach, which I'm so sad is over, yeah. by the way. Um, but I'm really excited about this book all about eggs, um, which I already have a book about eggs um, by a different person 
and I bought another one because I don't think there's enough about eggs are a fascinating and delicious food. And I'm excited to get another new perspective on how awesome eggs are. Do you want to talk about a book you bought? Yeah. I, I have purchased things recently and I have something that might be in a gray area. Can I talk about two books? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So I recently repurchased St. Augustine's Confessions. Ooh. Okay. That's a research purchase mm-hmm. because... I'm going to a residency next month after this like crazy few months of traveling and book touring and I'm going to write about a recent period of celibacy that I took. Hmm. And as you already know from our conversation, I don't drink and I don't eat meat and I've been sober for many, many years. So you would, So you're you're cutting out a lot of stuff. Anyway, I'm sort of just thinking, I've just been planning about writing about the celibacy and so I'm, reading him for research for that. But just as I'm sitting here, I realize that I have a lot of kinds of abstinence in my life. Mm. So that, and then also I'm really excited because I'm going to read a book for pleasure, mm. which I have not done um, very much in the past year because I've been working so much, but I got Eileen. Oh, Ooh. yeah. Uh, Tessa Moshfeg. Is that how you say it? I, I was just going to let you say it. Uh, yeah, I did it. <laughs> I took a stab. Sounds right. Thanks. Have you guys read it? No, but I like anything that takes place around Christmas, as that book does. <laughs> I could never have guessed at the end of that. I always like something that, you know. Yeah, I thought it was like female narrator. Plays on the noir genre. Yeah, dar- Christmas, nope. I feel like, is like the sixth or seventh <laughs> that selling happens point around that Christmas. Do you, are you a fan of Christmas? Oh, yes. So yes. am I. I feel like we're the minority in intellectual circles. It's not cool to like Definitely Christmas. Not cool. That said, I like Halloween the best, which I feel like is yeah. maybe more frowned upon in a way. No. no Halloween way is more, way cooler yeah, than Christmas. It's way cooler to be in a Halloween than Christmas. You both just admitted that, so okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a pagan, it's like a witch holiday. Oh, yeah. People dress up in costumes. Yeah. It's very goth. Yeah. yeah. Christmas is... Uh, the most vanilla. Yeah. <laughs> uh, twee, I think. Yeah. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Uh, Drew, you talk about books you bought. Oh, um, I picked up uh, Valeria Selly's new essay, hmm. um, an essay in 40 questions. It's called Tell Me How It Ends. Oh, okay. Um, and I actually, I started reading it this morning on the train. Uh, I nearly missed my stop on the way to work just because it's a pretty simple meditation. She started working as a translator for um, Spanish-speaking children at the Manhattan uh, Immigration Courts. And there's a 40-question questionnaire that all of these kids get asked. And her job was to ask these questions and then translate the responses and then give them to the lawyers. But in doing this, it turns into this whole, like, she had also just gone through a whole ordeal getting a green card and like all of this stuff wow. tied up in mm. our current awful moment mm-hmm. of immigration. I uh, think mm. I would like her more in a nonfiction mode than I did in Story of My Teeth fiction-ish mode. Hmm. I think so too. I've heard, I've been, it's been recommended to me. Let's talk about your book. Okay. Abandon yeah. Me. Um okay. that just that just came out, just just graced shelves. 
Um, mm-hmm. And you know, you're you're also the um, author of Whip Smart, which came out six years ago. And the way it shows up in this book, and the way mm-hmm. you refer back to it, it's um, I I use the word haunted in my head. That it mm. seemed like you were haunted by it. Is that true? Did you have goals for this collection that you wanted to that, to separate it from the last one? Yeah, I I don't think I would say goals, but I definitely uh, I definitely came to an understanding of my relationship to that first book through writing the second one. Um, Mostly in that I encountered this incredible resistance when material from the first book would intrude upon the material I was writing in the new book. Mm -hmm. And I thought, and this is something I think is pretty common among writers, particularly memoirists. Maybe there's an analogy also just for being in life or in my experience, there isn't therapy. Like once you've really covered something, it's like, aren't you done yet? Mm -hmm. Like, are you really on that again? (laughs) You know? Um, And I think for me, uh, you know, and uh, being, having been a dominatrix and a heroin addict, I mean, it's kind of a loud topic, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's, it's like sensational in a superficial way. And, and I think my resistance when, you know, there would be sort of threads of it that seemed related to what I was writing in this new book. And when they would come up, I would try to shun them because I was like, no, I already wrote about you. Mm-hmm. I already covered this. Um, but what I came to by the end of it was this different kind of understanding of my relationship to uh, the insights that I derived about my experience years ago. Like, where did I get the idea that those shouldn't change, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And I don't know, I actually write about this kind of explicitly in a a particular moment in the title essay of Abandon Me, Mm -hmm. where I think, I think it's the job of nonfiction writers sometimes to actually demonstrate that for people that, that over time you can change your mind, right? And you can contextualize events in totally different ways. And that's not, you weren't wrong, you're not a hypocrite, like you're just um, exhibiting the evolution of understanding as it happens to all of us, I think, to some degree. That makes sense, I mean, I mean, and especially in that, like a lot of the times it's another person bringing it up to you and right. you're saying like, okay, well, like, oh, I should read your book. And you're like, actually, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've changed my mind on a lot of that. <laughs> It's true. It's true. I mean, and maybe I wonder sometimes if novelists have that same problem because I often feel like that or like, you know, I just got into a new relationship recently and she was like, I'm going to reread your first book. And I was like, no, (laughs) don't do that. (laughs) The title essay is basically half of the book and the other essays are these shorter pieces Mm -hmm. and the way that by the time you get to that last essay those shorter pieces start to contextualize differently Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm curious to know how how the form and structure of the book came together like was that were you writing those shorter essays Mm -hmm. and then the later one sort of came after or did you write the big one and then how did it yeah um, it had a pretty Um, interesting genesis, at least interesting to me because it was different from the process of, of writing as I knew it (laughs) before, before it. Um, 
I, I sort of had a flash of foresight uh, in the midst of the experiences that I write about. So like in the midst of that crazy love affair, probably when I was like just thinking about looking up my birth father, I thought, I stopped crying for a minute and I was like, I'm gonna write a book about this and it's gonna be called Abandon Me. And I wrote it down on an index card and I stuck it to the wall in my kitchen. And that, I mean, you know, that sounds like an annoyingly writerly story, but <laughs> that is not how I come up with titles. Huh. They're always the last piece of the jigsaw puzzle for me. And I sort of relish that method. Um, I really enjoy coming up with the titles. I don't write to a title. Anyway, so that happened. And meanwhile, I was writing these weird sort of lyric essays that were um, defying all of my usual sort of craft methods. Like I, I, they would not let me outline them or even really make no- notes. And it was just like this very arduous, like carving sentence by sentence by sentence and doing weird sort of craft projects around them. And it wasn't until I had writ- done that with maybe four or five of the first seven essays that it occurred to me that these might be that book. Mm-hmm. Uh. Um, because it, I just wasn't, thinking about it that way and so I wrote all of the shorter essays and I knew that there was going to be a longer one that was going to sort of fill in some of the gaps of the earlier essays but I imagined it would be about 40 pages long Hmm. Um, and I actually had an outline for this one and I went to a residency and then I started writing and you know, when I crossed the 100 page mark, I was like, okay, (laughs) so this is going to be a different kind of essay. And this is going to be a different kind of book. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, I had to actually stop because I had to continue. I had to finish living the story before I finished it. I was still in a lot of it while I was writing it. And so I took a little hiatus, lived some more of it, and then went back and finished that long essay. Wow. Mm. So I had actually been writing towards a different ending for a lot of it. Mm -hmm. The ending I sort of wished for, but that was, I suspected was not the real ending. Mm -hmm. Thank God. Do you want to introduce your book a little bit to someone who might not uh, know? Sure. Sure. Um, This isn't, this is a thing that I've not yet gotten good at mm-hmm. um, because it's a weird book. And so I think of it as an essay collection. It's a, a collection of linked essays um, in pretty various forms, but that all sort of orbit the themes of abandonment and attachment. And the main narrative threads are growing up as the adopted daughter of a sea captain mm-hmm. and sort of how that formed me. Um, and this very harrowing love affair with a married woman. And then a lot of the book concerns me going and finding and meeting my birth father for the first time. Mm. I'm sort of curious, something that you mentioned before um, that you had to go and live for a while and then Mm -hmm. come back. Um, I was reading, you had a really great interview in Guernica um, where you, where the guy mentioned Hannibal Burris and, and his process. And you said that you um, would never live something to write about it. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do you, how do you find that delineation for yourself? And where's the line? Well, the living, the living always comes first for me. And I actually think that the writing is in many ways 
an adaptation to the often extreme choices that I make. So for instance, you know, when I had that flash and thought of the title, you know, I think the living was happening. I had gotten into this crazy relationship. I had decided to go find my birth father. um, And I was in a tremendous amount of pain and confusion. And I didn't quite understand my own motives. And I didn't quite want to meet the gaze of whatever they were. And, but I sort of knew from reference um, other experiences in my life that when I write about extremely harrowing experiences, I'm able to some degree to make sense of them. And that's what's helped me to not have regrets, right? To feel Mm. that it, it is a kind of alchemy that I perform on my most painful life experiences. And and so I think I have so much reference for that that now it does occur to me in the midst of experiences. So I don't choose the experiences for that, but I think it was helpful. It was in some ways a survival mechanism for me to think, okay, I can write about this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then it will be worth, like I will survive this and then I will write about it and make sense of it so it won't have been senseless. Mm. If that makes sense. That idea mm-hmm. of of adapting the moments. Mm-hmm. Um, I kept thinking about like the subtitle of the book is memoirs plural, mm-hmm. which just like was in the back of my mind. Um, and the way that you you go out of your way to be like, this was my experience of this. Mm-hmm. But you also, I mean, there was I loved it because I went immediately to my computer. There's a moment at the end of Labyrinths, mm. um, which I think might be my favorite essay in the book because it's the mm. it talks about Labyrinth in like the coolest way I've ever seen anybody talk <laughs> oh, about Labyrinth. Agreed. Or David and Bowie. I've never I've never seen that movie. So I've, you've never seen it. I only had it described to you, me <gasps> by you. So <laughs> and it's, you, a, it's, a, it's a and crazy did it thing. Still work? Yeah, it totally works. Wow. Why haven't you seen it? I feel like it's something you would like. Yeah, I probably would. Yeah. Seems like it. It seemed like it by your description. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) just looking around. I just missed it. It's just, you know. Yeah. Well, you might be young. You guys are a little bit younger than me. Mm. So maybe it was a little bit soon. Wait, so what were you? Yeah. (laughs) The the way that you reference other people's conceptions of the stories and Mm -hmm. you're very careful um to say like these other people experienced this differently mm-hmm. and i'm i'm curious to know where that impulse came from mm. well you know uh, probably the most common question that i get like at q a's or in interviews is what about writing about other people like how do you do that um and my relationship to it has changed a lot through my experience of doing it and you know my younger brother is you know that is one of the closest most precious relationships in my life and I feel more protective of him than anyone in the world, Mm -hmm. you know? And so more so to a much greater degree than anyone else I've ever implicated in anything I've written, I felt very careful um, about writing about his experience and, and just so conscious of the line sort of, you know, I think every nonfiction writer, every memoirist, develops their own sort of moral compass for including the stories of other people. And for me, there is a line. And when I tow over it, I know. And you have to pay attention, you know, because it's easy to sort of ransack other people's experience in the service of your own work. 
but it doesn't feel good afterwards yeah. if you cross whatever that line is in you. And so I think I was very, very careful in that essay um, because I didn't, I didn't want to unnecessarily pillage his own incredibly intense, huge life experience. Um, so, so I was very, very mindful of what's my story here. Yeah, you know, how am I telling my story, and how can I acknowledge that I'm not speaking for anyone else in this? And I also had a very long process of showing him the essay and getting notes and having some very intense long conversations about it um, and that was actually true with everyone in my family but most intensely with him mm. I love how it shows up on the page too when you're like so I said this to them and they were like I don't remember that or I remember it going completely differently yeah and mm. just the the way that memory plays into this book is really cool this book taught me so much I mean we all know that memory is subjective but you guys, like, <laughs> it is like I interviewed both my parents about events that our whole family was present for, and it was like two completely different stories, and they weren't contradicting each other. Just the things that they they just remembered completely different material from that time period. It wow. was amazing. You have this moment where in your relationship with um, the woman who is married mm-hmm. where uh, you end up on her computer seeing that she's mm-hmm. written about someone else in an mm-hmm. email. Um, and in that moment, I felt like you could have also looked up your name and looked for how she would have written about you. I'm just, I mm-hmm. guess, would you be interested in Amaya's whole side of it? Like, would you read Amaya's version of this book? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I I guess I guess with the presumption of an ex girlfriend, I feel like I already know what that would <laughs> be. And if she were to write a book about it, or if she does, who knows? Um, I think that I might give myself the gift of not reading it. Mm. Mm. You know, and there's a way that when you write a book about something, when I write a book about something, I put it to bed, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and I don't mean like, this is the final word on what happened. I don't feel like that at all, even closer to the opposite of that, where I feel like I exercise whatever, you know, like the stickiness of unresolved events in our lives or, you know, like the people we still go back and stalk on Facebook or whatever, mm-hmm. you know what yeah. I mean? Like writing a book about whatever happened really cures that, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like you can stick a fork in it cause it's done. And, and that's kind of how I feel about those experiences having written this like extremely intense, detailed, difficult book about it. And, and I don't have really any need to go back there. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I like that idea that, but I also am like taking notes for myself of like, oh, so I should go write some of this shit down. I never tab pages down in books. Like I hate marking in books and all that. And I tabbed two really? pages down on this. Ooh. One where you mention um, three of, of object permanence. Mm. And then like 75 pages later, you say you have object impermanence. Mm-hmm. 
and just the like i noticed because that's not a phrase that you hear in everyday conversation and so Mm -hmm. it popped up twice Mm -hmm. and i i'm curious about how you feel about like locking these essays into existence because it does in a way create a permanent object Mm -hmm. but then also this idea we're talking about of like being able to let things go Mm -hmm. i mean i think that duality exists in everything that I write, because I only sort of write about these experiences that do or otherwise would haunt me, you know? And so I think it makes a perfect kind of sense that the very thing I need to do to exercise it from my consciousness is concretize it. <laughs> and it becomes this object that will never go away. And, you know, I, I've I felt that with my first book, and I feel even more so with this book, where there's just like a a gravity to it. I've been like traveling around the country and talking about it and I feel sort of like free of it in many ways, but I also feel very present with the reality that I will never fully get away from it because now it exists in this form. But I don't know, in some way that makes sense to me because I'm so much of what I'm interested in and what worries me or what I worry is are things with that sort of tension or duality, right? Like even the idea of abandonment. Mm-hmm. Right. It has that kind of tension where it's like both sides of the pole. Right. It's like being abandoned, this sort of passive trauma, this thing we're afraid of. But then also to abandon oneself is a similar thing, but adding agency and with this kind of joyful connotation. Right. So it sort of embodies the word itself embodies both of those poles. And I think writing is kind of like that for me. It's just is is a practice that contains everything. Cool. Yeah, I mean, in the the pop psychology sense of just that your uh, sea captain father Mm -hmm. is there and gone and there Mm -hmm. and gone, like I can see why that might end up as an obsession. Yeah, Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's sort of like the, the archetype. I think my one of my favorite essays in this is the is the Wunderkammer mm. sure. um, uh, essay where, where it's about a cabinet of curiosities, but it's also about like the giving and receiving of gifts and mm-hmm. the, the power that that displays. Um, and I guess there's something that's just altogether uh, satisfying about reading about like really good gifts. Um, what do you think that is? Do you have a craving? To be showered in gifts like I did before I realized how terrible it is? Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, but maybe partially like when when the uh, particularly the Carl Jung illum- mm-hmm. illuminated, I was like, oh, that The cool. Red Book yeah. it is cool. <laughs> the OED? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were yeah. good gifts. Yeah, that's... So uh, maybe it's just that those were particularly like <laughs> that sounds nice. I don't, uh, a good there's no gift p- is a wonderful thing. Yeah, but it does it does come with a transfer of uh, power. Yeah, that's um that's difficult because you like the thing a lot. <laughs> I know it's true. I th- I think maybe we'll go back to capitalism, but I I don't know. I haven't. I sort of suspect that most people have a deep desire to be showered in gifts and sort of taken care of being be uh to be taken care of and and just to be known and seen in that way like here i've been paying attention and thinking about you in your absence mm. in a store yeah 
<laughs> or I, I guess on the internet. Well, I mean, I think this is why I like Christmas so much is because mm. like, you know when like there's like this whole entire group of people who are walking around having that thought on their head actually all the time. That's um, so interesting. Oh. There's, it's like, of a, course, that's your favorite. <laughs> but I think that I also, I desire to be a very good gift giver myself. Are you? I don't know. Um, if you don't know, that you might not be. <laughs> I want to. Or are you being humble? Uh, may I? Maybe I'm being humble. I've I, received only a few gifts from you, but I would say you're being humble. I feel like a few gifts exchanged between male friends is a lot. Hmm. Oh, yeah. So you brought us a different type of uh, Wunderkammer. I don't think I said it the same way that time. Um, Close. Yeah. You know, you uh, don't speak German, so. I don't. I don't even pretend to. Um, this book, Animal Strike, Curious Poses by Elena Pascarello, mm-hmm. um, which is a sort of based on the idea of an old bestiary, correct? Mm -hmm. Um, What made you bring it to us? Um, I wanted to read it. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think she's a fantastic writer. And also, I have a minor obsession with bestiaries. Oh, cool. You know, just, I mean, should we define that for your listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so a bestiary is basically, uh, mm, well, Obviously, it's not only medieval, but it was a medieval compendium of fabulous beasts, Mm -hmm. fantastic beasts. I think it was sort of a sometimes a combination of real animals and uh, magical animals. Mm -hmm. Um, But the association is with pretty magical animals and they have recurred over time. I once did sort of a roundup of my favorite ones, um, which starred board has his book of imaginary beings yeah. mm-hmm. which is pretty fun i love that book yeah and my favorite poetry collection of late is also called bestiary by danica kelly and that's mostly about real animals but it's also about the poet so i'm, I'm just kind of into uh bestiaries and i also just love the idea of <laughs> like learned humans these dudes, these medieval dudes being like, we need an encyclopedia of these magical creatures. We need to pin it down, you know? And (laughs) to me, it just seems like this hilarious pinnacle of like the human desire to categorize things Mm. and make finite and graphable and understandable, even, you know, creatures of the imagination. Yeah. I mean, I love that this comes, I mean, I've learned this from this book, but that there was, the essay about uh, the rhinoceros. It's mm-hmm. like the third essay in, mm-hmm. and it's really where this book started clicking for me. Yeah. Was the explanation of like the reason that the rhinoceros proliferated through these bestiaries. Mm-hmm. And it also seemed like a bestiary was sort of like, this is the latest in animals. Like, <laughs> 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 we've discovered some more. We've added some more that could yeah. exist if you want to believe they do. Yeah. Um, sort of like, Beast Digest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and and I love that, especially the rhinoceros, that, that, the, that the more romantic and less realistic image, even after you started seeing more of them, mm-hmm. that one still is the one that was the most sought and, yeah. and reproduced. Yeah. 
I think where it gets locked down into these um, imagination stealing animals, like this, mm. the starling with the Mozart mm-hmm. is really like, you can see that image of this bird mm-hmm. with Mozart. I mean, I wanted this to be, f- I mean, this is already a cool book. Mm-hmm. This has got these awesome like silhouettes and things in between. Um, but I wanted even more. <laughs> I wanted it to be truly illuminated. I wanted mm-hmm. to see a lot of these things that she refers to because she's referring to art and um, and she does have these little like flourishes of musical notes and things that I kind of kept wanting more and more. Do yeah. you guys have that feeling? Yeah, she does. And she moves so often. She moves so much around time. Mm-hmm. Like it just mm-hmm. goes to so many places. Um, you know, and as I've said before, I'm a really visual person, you know, and so I sort of wanted to, I don't I almost would watch a documentary of the, or like it could. Oh yeah. I would, I would I love want, if to, I was a visual artist, I feel like I would be like, Hey, Passarello, let's <laughs> collaborate. Yeah. You know? yeah. I was also moved and I found it kind of hard to read the elephant one oh, that yeah. really combines sort of a history of electricity and electrocution with elephants. And it just, I mean, it, there's something elegant about the way she moves through time and the way she braids together those narratives, but it it was so ugly. Like it just it just pulled back the veil on some really ugly parts of human beings, which I always appreciate. There's yeah. something interesting about the way she aims for feel instead of fact, which is not to mm. say that anything feels counterfactual or wrong mm-hmm. in this book, but um, the because. I found it to be, I found the two, the first two essays to be like, oh, I think I'm going to put this book down. Mm -hmm. And then somebody had said, read the Mozart essay. Mm -hmm. So I jumped ahead and I read that. And then I started, and the essay I think that made the book click for me the most is actually the one about bears and Mm. bear baiting. I like the bear Um, one a lot too. Yeah. I like, and I, I am so steeped in London and Shakespeare. Like I just, I know so much about Mm -hmm. that time and this it didn't necessarily teach anything new, but it evoked the feeling of that mm-hmm. time in mm-hmm. a way that like not even great um, Shakespearean novels or novels mm-hmm. set in Shakespearean times, they don't even evoke it in the same way that the essay did. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is when this book worked for me. It was when she she got you there and like the sense of the animal without ever necessarily talking about like, so a bear is this big, it eats this, it does this. Yeah. I, I was so glad that she did end up explaining. I did. I was wanting, and she gave it to you near the end. Like, why are you interested yeah. in animals? Yeah. yeah. I loved, I mean, and he, I wanted I, that way. I wanted that way more. I'm the memoirist. So, I mean, it's, I'm glad to hear that too, because I was like, oh, like I was so thirsty for it. And I gulped. And when that essay ended, I was like, no. <laughs> um, because I really enjoyed the others too, but it was so. And maybe because I had the material from the others in my mind, like I already had the, what the obsession had produced. And mm-hmm. so then to go into the origin of it was just so juicy. Like, and it was, I mean, it's a really beautiful essay, that one mm-hmm. too. I also appreciated her humor. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh my God, Coco's the, the, the Coco. telling of the Coco's, aristocrats. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> uh, that, and I would. I also, like, I got the joke. Yeah, the whole. I was like, yep. I under- oh, uh huh. Okay, <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but also, 
I just I could have done with even more of her that when that humor got displayed, I'm like this. I wanted it all in other places too. I mean, she dedicates the book to Pizza Rat. Yeah. The beginning, <laughs> and then she says, "Just kidding." And then like that sort of like lightness is gone from the first like four or five essays before yeah. she like brings it back in. Yeah, um, it felt like it sort of crept in progressively mm-hmm. as it moves on. Yeah, yeah, I think it was because you pointed this out, Drew. Uh, just. Uh, the time the way that it's written along the timeline that it Mm -hmm. starts all the way in the past and gets Mm -hmm. up to now Mm -hmm. i'd be curious to know how this collection ended up coming together Mm -hmm. because there are moments where i felt as though obviously the chronology is an easy way to do it Mm -hmm. but there it's a it is a daring choice to put a very dense essay at the top of the book mm-hmm. as opposed to throw it like throwing a crowd pleaser up at the front that allows people a softer entry. Yeah. Uh, and I, I like, I really applaud it because once you do the work and get into it, the book starts to really become rewarding. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious to know if like she started and she was like, I'm going to write about this mammoth. Let me go through time and do more of this. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for bringing this book. I I, uh, I really liked this, uh, and I would recommend it to people who are interested in, in any of the things we've talked about because it's such a strange thing, and um, I think it rewards even if you dip in and then come back and read the whole thing. Like mm-hmm. you could just read the animals that you're interested in right up top, mm-hmm. and then go back and get the full picture. There's a lot of ways to read mm-hmm. this book. Mm-hmm. I I would also add that it's it's really kind of a miracle of voice, like what yeah. she does with voice in this book is amazing. And I think about the research she must have, that it that it feels like the voice feels like something you could bite into and so substantial. And that, I mean, just from, as like a nonfiction writer who writes more about myself than anything <laughs> else, this is almost entirely things that are not herself and she has entered into them so completely that even in sort of just the vocabulary that she uses specifically, I was thinking when you were talking about the bear essay, um, like she doesn't have to describe even the setting very much because she does it in the vocabulary, like yeah. her mm-hmm. little hellos and, and things like that. Absolutely. Should we talk about other books we recommend? Sure. Um, do you want to recommend a book, Drew? You uh, go first. I'm going to recommend two. I'm oh. going to rend- uh, recommend a bestiary and a memoir. Okay. Hey. Um, the bestiary is just called The Bestiary. Uh, it's edited by Anne Vandermeer. And it's each essay is a letter of the alphabet plus um, an empty space and an ampersand. And it, it, they are all told by uh, weird speculative fiction writers. Hmm. Um, and it's, there's an illustration. It's like a lovely little book. Each one has like a fun illustration. It's got a ribbon in it. Um, and they're just like, they're cool, short stories about completely fictional, fantastical animals. Mm. Um, that sounds great. Yeah. It's really cute. And then the memoir is Joshua Moore's Sirens, Mm. um, which is, I really love, I've loved Joshua's fiction for a long time. 
uh, and this just came out from Two Dollar Radio. He has a stroke. His daughter is like a year and a half, two years old, and he has a stroke and finds out that it wasn't his first stroke; it was his third stroke. He has a hole in his heart, and he's going to have to go in for surgery. Uh, and he's going to have to. He like starts writing this memoir of like, okay, in case I die on the operating table, uh, I want my daughter to know who I was warts and all and so he talks a lot about his crazy addicted years in san francisco he talks about uh getting clean the fear of like relapsing on the table um but also like the great things that he's done writing all of his books um wow yeah and it's like it is just it's short and punchy and it has all of the great things of his fiction Mm. uh turned to to gaze at himself, which I think is a hard thing for fiction writers to do sometimes. Yeah. Cool. Um, that sounds great. Melissa, how about you? Yeah. Do these have to be new things or can they just be they anything? Can be anything you want. All right. I have two recommendations. One is, um, a novel by Linda Barry, the cartoonist. And I think a lot of people are familiar with her comics, which are, wonderful Mm -hmm. um but she has a graphic novel it's not a graphic novel it's an illustrated novel um because there's text but then there are also illustrations it's called cruddy Mm -hmm. and i love this book so much and it's also one of these books that feels like a a test that seems unfair but (laughs) if i meet a person and they also love this book i just know that we should be friends you know, I don't necessarily think that we shouldn't be friends if you don't like it, but maybe I kind of do. <laughs> um, but it's like weird and dark and intense and funny and compelling. Anyway, it's really amazing. The other thing I'm going to recommend is a non-book thing. Do you think... You might cut this, but no. oh, are no. you going to keep the digression that we had about meat products in this podcast i am gonna keep that (laughs) okay because my second recommendation is for my gold standard of fake meat products okay and it is the vegan barbecue buffalo wings at a restaurant called red bamboo and it's on west fourth street it might be on West 5th Street, but I think it's on West 4th Street right by the basketball courts in the West Village. This is for New Yorkers or people visiting New York. <laughs> Red Bamboo, the vegan barbecue buffalo wings. I am so obsessed with these things and I have been for 10 years. Wow. When I moved out of the city for a year, I lived in the terrible city of Utica, New York. I would come down to the city and I would order, no joke, like seven or eight or nine orders of these vegan (laughs) wings and I would drive them back upstate in my car and I would eat an order of the wings while driving. And I don't know if you've ever tried to eat wings while driving, but it's not a car food. Dangerous, yeah. Also, I would be like so steeped in the vinegary like barbecue smell by the time I got home that I was like, hi. (laughs) (laughs) But they're so good. Every time I go there, I get one to eat and one to go home and I have to stop myself from getting more than one to go home. Wow. That's where I bring my meat eating fake meat skeptics to turn them. Wow. I want to try I'm down. Yeah, Yeah. I can't wait. I'm going to do that. Um, Your turn, sir. 
Oh yeah, I'm gonna recommend. I'm not gonna recommend a book this time. I'm gonna recommend a podcast, mm. um, which is. I actually had to look up and make sure from many sources that it is nonfiction because it seems like fiction. Um, the new podcast from This American Life and Serial, S Town, mm. it is amazing. Um, all the things that people are saying about it are true, um, but it's it's also something that no reading. Um, about it will ever cover like you have to encounter this guy john b on your own Mm -hmm. and 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 decide what sort of person he is to you um i can't stop thinking about it and i keep telling people to to listen to it um in that annoying way that uh, are just like here's eight year eight hours of your life that i want that i want to tell you (laughs) to take up um but yeah it's you'll you'll want to and uh it's not like Serial or This American Life. It really is its own thing. Um, I'm in. I'm listening to it right now. Actually, I can vouch for for that recommendation. Um, nice. Yeah, I have about two episodes left. Okay, we'll talk. That's all I think. Right? I Do think we have so. some things to say to the people? Nope. Uh, we're okay, not good. selling shirts anymore. Yeah, so. we're not doing anything. Uh, just go and read books and also uh, go buy Abandon Me by Melissa Phoebos. It's incredible. Thanks so much for coming yeah, on the thank show. Thank you, guys. This and was so fun. I'm glad. And thanks for your books. They're fantastic. Both thank of them. you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, cool. Cool. Bye. 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 Before we say goodbye, my love and I I lived with a man for three years who once gave me, am I going to tell this story? He's not going to hear this. Um, He once gave me for Christmas in a Tiffany bag. Uh I was like, dude, I'm not even that kind of girl, but don't give me something that's not from Tiffany in a Tiffany bag. (laughs) And it was tickets to a Rangers game, a Knicks game, a Yankees game, a Jets game, and an Alice Cooper concert. <laughs>